Happy Thanksgiving. Wow, what a strange Thanksgiving it is. Of course, we can't gather how we would normally gather. I was just at IGA and stood in the line and watched the lady buy a turkey. And I looked across and I said, uh, is that turkey a little smaller than you usually do? She said, yes. Looking a little forlorn, a little sad. I said, well, how many pounds is that turkey? And she said, eight. Well, how many pounds do you usually get for you? She said, 30 pounds. Usually have everybody around. We have a big celebration. I love it. It's kind of sad. And that was her phrase. It's kind of sad. And for some of us uh, this weekend, it is kind of sad that we can't celebrate and be together how we normally would. But the truth is this. That in the most difficult of situations, we know that we have the treasure that is within us. And that treasure is Jesus Christ. And on this Thanksgiving Day, we want to give thanks to all that God has done. Give thanks for our lives. Give thanks for our friends. Give thanks for our families. Give thanks for a secure country. Give thanks for... The sky, and when we look up and see the glory of creation, the cathedral of creation that God has made, we can give thanks. And I give thanks to you, those of you who join us online. I give thanks for your devotion to what God is doing in your life. I give thanks to your willingness To be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ and the difference that makes in our lives. And certainly this new series is about that devotion. How desperate are we? How dissatisfied are we about about our own Christian faith? Are we willing to seek after God and start to reach out and go farther and go deeper? Are we willing to grow? And how do we grow? Well, we grow through feeding on the bread of heaven, not the crumbs. It's no time for crumbs. It's time for the bakery of heaven to come down and we enjoy the bread of life. That we go to the secret place and we grow in our faith. And there the Lord speaks to us and whispers. And the result of his word in our lives, it brings It brings peace, it brings joy, it brings love, it brings hope, and we don't dry up and wither as Christians. That we are willing to walk in humility this Thanksgiving. That we look around and go, wow, Lord, I am humbled by you. I want to be humble towards others. And I want to be humble enough to continue to keep growing and be teachable and allow the Lord to keep working in my life. Got a lot to be thankful about. You've come through the wilderness. Last week I spoke about wilderness and the fact that the reason God gives us wildernesses in our life is so that He can produce something remarkable. When we're in the wilderness, we learn to get rid of our pride. When we're in the wilderness, we learn to get rid of our self dependence. When we're in the wilderness, we learn to lay everything down before. God. And so this Thanksgiving, we've got special guests as we enter into worship. Ren Collective, 
Uh, they're going to be leading us in worship. They're an amazing Irish band, internationally known. They have a heart for worship. And we thought it'd be good on this Thanksgiving to bring our Irish friends here, as it were, online to celebrate the goodness of God and the songs they've chosen, the hymns, the message about that there is a light, that there is a hope and that God is with us and he will give us peace. So let's pray together. And don't forget, at the end of this segment, we will also be taking communion. So get ready for communion. Father, right now, as we enter into worship, we pray that these songs chosen, this music presented, will be a great blessing to us. And I pray, Lord, and we give thanks for all of your goodness today. And we want to enter today's worship with thanksgiving in our hearts. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, we welcome Wren Collective here at Willow Park Church. Well, hello church. We count it a great privilege to be with you, to worship with you um, and your church. I'm just going to read from John chapter 4, um, 23. Jesus said, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For their Father is seeking such people to worship him. You know, it came after just a moment when the Samaritan woman said, But don't you Jews say you're meant to worship in the temple? Jesus was saying, It doesn't matter where you worship from. It matters about the state of your heart. That's where worship comes from. That's what the Father's looking for. So today, whether you're in a living room, whether you're outside, no matter where you are, we just love the fact that we can worship together. We don't need to be in a church building. We are the church. So let's just choose to worship God despite our circumstances. You know, Jesus didn't say to worship in feelings and circumstance, but he said in spirit and in truth. So let's sing together. My lighthouse, my lighthouse, shining in the darkness, I will find you home. My lighthouse, my lighthouse, I will trust the promise, you will carry me safe to shore, safe to shore. Doubts in my failures, you won't walk out. Your great love will lead me through. You are the peace in my troubled sea. Oh, you are the peace in my troubled sea. In the silence, in the silence, you won't let go. In the questions, your truth will lead me through. You are the peace in my troubled sea. Oh, oh, you are the peace in my troubled sea. See this faithfulness, my lighthouse, my lighthouse, shining in the darkness. I will find you, oh, my 
Hi, folks. We're socially distant right now. So we can't do things uh, exactly the way that we would if we were there with you in person. That doesn't mean we're not going to make a wee effort here to have a little bit of Irish shin diggery. That's a real word. Look that up. Why don't you get your arm around whoever you've got near you right now, whoever your lockdown partners are. Why don't you just uh, get your arm around them, give them a wee snuggle, and uh, let's celebrate the kingdom of God together. We're still doing this thing, even in the middle of this weird moment. We're still building the kingdom of God. We believe he still has plans for us to prosper us, not to harm us. That's worth celebrating. Build your kingdom here. Let the darkness fear. Show your mighty head. Heal our streets and our might have worked out by now we're big believers in joy we believe in the truth of scripture we believe that the joy of the lord is our strength let's lift up that truth over our circumstances right now let's sing it out come on though the tears may fall my song will rise my song will rise to you Though my heart may fail, my song will rise, my song will rise to you. While there's breath in my lungs, I will praise you, Lord. In the dead of night, I'll lift my eyes, I'll lift my eyes to you. Though the waters rise, I'll lift my eyes, I'll lift my eyes to you. While there's hope in this heart, I will praise you, Lord. Singing for joy, come on. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. In the darkness, I'll dance. In the shadows, I'll sing. The joy of the Lord is my strength. What I cannot see you with my eyes, let faith arise to you. Though I cannot feel your hand in mine, let faith arise to you. God of mercy and love, I will praise you, Lord. We worship you, I you shine with glory, Lord of life, we alive with you. In your presence now I come alive, again alive with you. There is strength when I say.
sorrow comes my way You are the shield around me Always you remain My courage in the fight I hear you call my name Jesus I'm your Let's sing it out. The joy of the Lord is my strength wherever you are. In the darkness I'll dance, in the shadows I'll sing it. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Let's choose joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Father, we're singing that in confidence, the kind of confidence that we have whenever we sing straight from your word, knowing that it never returns void, that there's always power in the words of scripture. We just recognize that this verse, the joy of the Lord is our strength, is so much more than self-help or anything like that. This isn't just a positive mindset. This is supernatural power spoken in your word, anchored for all eternity. When the enemy says I'm done, I'll lift my praises. When my world comes crashing down, I'll lift my praises high. Till the darkness turns to dawn, I live my praises. I choose to worship. I choose you now. Yeah, when the enemy says I'm done, I live my praises. When my world comes crashing down, I live my praises high. Till the darkness turns to dawn, I'll lift my praises. I choose to worship. I choose you now. Let's choose him, church. I choose to worship, I choose to bow, though there's pain in the offering, I lay it down, here in the conflict, when doubt surrounds, though my soul is unraveling, I choose you now. I will praise you through the fire, through the storm and through the flood. There is nothing that could ever steal my soul. 
build my own right here and now in the midst of the darkest night it won't burn for you are perfect no matter what in the joy of the suffering I sing it loud I will praise you through the fire right here and right now when the enemy says we're done when our world comes crashing down we've still got a song to sing in every season and circumstance we have a song to sing we won't let the enemy steal it we won't let our circumstances steal it he is still good when life is not that's our proclamation that's our declaration wherever we are let's declare it together that we choose to worship right here and right now When the enemy says I'm done, I lift my praises. When my world comes crashing down, I lift my praises. I, till the darkness turns you down, I lift my praises. I choose to worship. I choose to What amazing worship. Uh, we're so grateful. Thank you, Ring Collective, for being with us. Thank you for leading us in worship from your living room, from your studio there uh, in Ireland. And we are so blessed 
to be able to hear the music and celebrate uh, the goodness of God. What a, what a moving set and how powerful to hear that worship. Well, I want us to step into communion. But when I'm thinking about things to give thanks for, I just want to say, I want to give thanks the fact that this last week, we had over 275 young people come through Willow Park Church in groups, cohorts of grade 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. All separately, but all able to receive ministry and to be able to connect. Young people, they're finding it hard with their mental health and with the pressure and I'm glad and proud of our staff and our youth team that they were able to do that. Also this week, we launched our first kids club on Tuesday night. It was full. It was a remarkable time. And it was great to see the way God was using that team. So I'm thankful for the ways. Because we want to keep proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ until he comes. All calls. And by proclaiming him, we remember that the message of our church is all about the power and the work of the gospel to transform lives. Even today, as I think about this, I know that this week I had a phone call of somebody who'd been sick in hospital, a young man. And he phoned the church. I returned the call and he simply said, can you explain to me how I can be born again? What a privilege. What a privilege to explain to somebody the way of salvation. God is good. And I know God is working all the time. And we take the bread and we remember that on the night in which the Lord Jesus Christ was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. I think about the cross. I think about the price that he paid. I think about his willingness to shed the blood that fell on the ground at Golgotha. And there on the ground, that blood cried out. Forgiveness. You are forgiven. You are renewed. And so, Lord, we thank you for the bread that reminds us of the cost, the brokenness and the pain. And Lord, we thank you that you are the bread of life. And we take it and we eat it and remember you. And thank you that your body was broken for us. What a privilege it is to hold this little cup with this great juice and look at its color and reminds me that the blood of Jesus takes away the sin of the world. Give thanks that you are forgiven, you are clean, you are renewed, you receive life. God's goodness has transformed you. And this work, this relationship with the Father has only happened because 
of the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus that takes away the sins of the world. Amen. Well, what a great morning. And now we're going to go over and hear the messages and connect and understand all that God is going to be teaching to us today. So before that, here is the Willow One News that gives you all the news of what's taking place in our wonderful church. Thanks for joining us and look forward to sharing the good news of Jesus with you. Hello, Willow Park Church. My name is Courtney. Whether you're joining us from church online or one of our dwell gatherings, welcome and here's your family news. We have a few new groups starting this month, including Divorce Care on Monday nights, Women's Bible Study on Tuesday nights, and Gather for Women on Thursday mornings. Visit our website events page for information on how to join these groups. We'd like to invite our friends who are 55 plus to join for our first hymn sing on Wednesday, October 21st at Willow Park Church at 33. If you'd like to attend, you can register online at willowparkchurch.com hymn. GLOW, our youth group for grades 9 to 12, happens each Wednesday from 7 to 9 p.m. JUICE for grades 6 to 8 happens Thursday nights from 6.30 to 8 p.m. This week, we want to remind youth that you must pre-register before attending at cahoots.ca. This Saturday, October 17th, some people in our church will be doing a virtual run-slash-walk event to raise funds for the graduates of Child of Mine Homes in India. They are still a ways away from reaching their goal of $30,000, so please consider making a donation online at childofmine.ca slash events. That's all for your family news. Thanks and enjoy your service. Glenn, if you've not uh, been here before, and uh, we're just delighted that you've joined us. It's great to see returning faces and family. It's so good to see you guys and Anita, and uh, it's lovely kind of doing weird church, but good church. It's good to be here, and uh, if it's your first time, we're very, uh, very happy. And Jameson returning as well. Do you remember when you used to be my intern many eons ago? Um, so it's, uh, it's good. And welcome online as well if you're joining us uh, at 11 a.m. or at some point in the week. We're so happy you are here. And, uh, and it's been a good, it's been the five weeks we're in this new 
series, which means it's not a new series anymore. Uh, just to bring you really quickly up to speed, just to frame what we're going to talk about this morning. We're, uh, let, me, let me just read a scripture to you because it actually uh, does a great job of explaining uh, what we are doing. This is, take, this is Jesus speaking as, as and Matthew writing it. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's kind of an interesting thing to start talking about yoke, because uh, as soon as we think, when we say yoke, we just think about eggs and yoke. And, but in this, in this context, Jesus is actually talking about a farming implement that was used to yoke oxen together, so where one would go, the other would follow. And so Jesus is saying, look, come connect yourself with me and go where I go and do what I do and and be like me. And that's that's basically him referring to what we would call discipleship. So he would call his disciples, and, and if you're not familiar with the New Testament teaching around discipleship and disciples, it's really quite simple, and, and we went into this in great detail in my, first, in my first message, that at the age of 10, by then, Hebrew boys would have been expected to have learned the five, first five books of the Bible, and then they would be invited, if they were smart enough, basically, to then learn the rest of the Old Testament. And by the age of 17, those that were the best of the best, were chosen by rabbis, teachers, and they said, come follow me, yoke yourself to me. Go where I go, be what I uh, am, say what I say. And these young men would have looked at these rabbis like rock stars, NBA stars, people, they would have put the posters if they did at that time uh, on their walls saying, I want to be like this particular rabbi. And so they got to the point where if you were following a particular rabbi, that the other people would be able to tell, oh, well, you're the disciple of so-and-so rabbi because we can tell by the way you talk and the way you act and even the inflection in your voice. The rabbis literally chose their apprentices, their disciples, because they thought they were worthy and they were capable of becoming like them. And so Jesus, when he invites us to follow him, Christianity is not just a set of beliefs or an activity on a Sunday or or something that we just add to the rest of our lives as a helpful crutch. What Jesus is actually saying is, if you want to be a Christian, you're actually going to yoke yourself to me and become my apprentice. You're going to become like I am. You're going to say what I say, do what I do. And so what we've been doing is we're building up over the last few weeks, examining what are some of the things that Jesus said and did that we can attach to our lives in the hope that we become like him. Because if you don't believe in Jesus, well, first of all, you need to read your history because Jesus existed. Uh, Atheists, uh, smart atheists believe that Jesus existed in the same way that smart Atheists believe Julius Caesar existed. He, he walked this planet. And, and Hebrew historians who are not Christians would even, you could read in history of the impact that Jesus had. He was a good man at the very least. He was a good teacher at the very least. And so what did he teach? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, and that is very controversial in our, in our world because we're saying, look, he is the way. He is the way of life. He is the way to God. He is the way to live. If you really want to experience what Jesus was and what he promises, you need to live like him. So between now and Christmas, and I can't believe I'm referring to Christmas, but it's coming, uh, coming fast. Uh, between now and Christmas, we're looking at specific habits that we can identify in the New Testament that Jesus did in the hope that we can put them into our lives so we can become like him. 
Um, and so that's pretty exciting because there are practical aspects of Jesus' life we can identify in the Scripture and say, I can do that. I can be that way. And so last week, Sarah did a fantastic job. A little bit too good, if you ask me. Um, she did a, a great job of explaining biblical meditation. We hear a lot about what meditating on scriptures, uh, on meditation in terms of Eastern New Age, Buddhist meditation. Well, what about Christian meditation? What does that look like? And so Sarah did a brilliant job last week of sharing and explaining that. This week, we're stepping into something that I find extremely difficult. Now, I say that not because I find all the other things really easy, far from it. But this one for me is exceptionally challenging because of the way that I am wired and the way my personality and my character is. And, and Jesus refers to it in a, in a roundabout way in this scripture. Now our normal habit as a church and, as a, and, and certainly for me as a Bible teacher is I love taking some scripture and working through it word by word, line by line. Uh, we call that expository teaching. I, I love that. I, I really enjoy that because it doesn't let me off the hook. If it says it, I've got to explain it, even if it makes it difficult for me. This series is more topical. We're, we're looking at how to live life and how to do specific things. And so I'm not going to work through this scripture line by line, but it's certainly the foundation of what I'm going to share with you today. And really, I think as I was reflecting on this message, it's one of two parts. It's not complete unless you hear what I'm going to say next week. Um, it's also really directly out of my own journal. Um, this, this is something Sarah and I, and certainly I, have been really working on over the last, ironically, over the last uh, few years. And for those of you who've known me uh, for over the last 11 years of being in the church, um, you'll know that this, this is certainly the case for me. Happy Thanksgiving, by the way, and, uh, and thank you that I, for the comments about my jacket. Shows you how little I actually smarten up, apparently, because every time I do smarten up, I get comments. Um, but as I said to my mum this morning, who sat right back there, I said, I wore this for you, mum, because she likes something in a jacket. There you go. Um, so happy Thanksgiving, the rest of you. So what are we, we going to look at this, this morning? What Jesus is referring to here that is really important is this key phrase here, rest for your souls. You will find rest for your souls and your burden will be light. Um, have you noticed in our culture that our culture presses in on us in certain ways and, and, and changes us in many ways? And one of the ways that our culture changes us is this area of busyness. That, that busyness and drive is celebrated, encouraged, and bragged about. That I'll, and I'll give you an example. If, if you were to ask somebody, how are you? Often, you'll get the answer, I am so busy. Like, it's just crazy right now. It's just like, you know what, I, I, can't, I can't even think. It's just, I do this and I do that. And it doesn't matter what age you are. Because even if you're children, and as parents, we have to be very cognizant of this, that we can make their lives so busy that they're bouncing from activity to activity to activity and school, and, and it's all over the place. They're busy. And then for us as parents and as people and as workers, employees, employers, it doesn't matter your age. Can I just tell you that, that it's a lie to believe that it gets less busy as you get older. I said to Luke the other day, my 21-year-old son, I said, son, you are never going to be as, as free as you are right now. It, it's gonna, I know it feels busy, 
But life doesn't get less busy as you get older necessarily. Because even as your kids get older, I know as parents we think, well, they're toddlers now, but they're gonna, it's going to be easier when, dot, dot, dot. It's not. It just changes. It's just different. Busyness is celebrated. And when you ask somebody how they are and they say, I'm busy, that's a normal response in our culture. It's odd when somebody goes, actually, I've got nothing going on at all. It's just like, I'm just, yeah. And you go, really? Wow, lazy. Or, well, you need to get a life or get a job. Or, wow, then clearly you've not, you know, what's, what's going on? It's, it's weird. I mean, just say it mentally to yourself. You feel, I'm busy. Pride, sense of pride. I'm needed. I'm valuable. Uh, I'm adding to society. I'm busy. I'm not busy. Shame. Need to get busier. Should be filling my life with lots of activity. That, that's how our culture is wired. Um, and we don't like to admit it, but it's true. So if you came to me and you went, Glenn, how are you? And I responded with something like this. Well, I'm doing really well, thank you. I'm rested. I have a significant space and peace in my life right now. I, I just feel this freshness inside. And I've, I think I've found the secret. I'm just, I'm doing great. You'd go, wow. Like, have you, are you on a new diet? Have you won the lottery? What's going on? How, how are you feeling this peace? But as Christians, here's, here's, the, here's the thing. It doesn't glorify God. It doesn't look good on us if we are stressed, grumpy, tired, and discontent. It just doesn't look good on a Christian. It doesn't glorify God at all. What glorifies God is having a light burden and having rest in your soul. And what's really interesting is rested souls... And spirits are the best kind. And when I talk about spirit, I'm talking about this kind of sense inside, this, this inner man, inner woman. A rested soul and spirit are the best kind of outreach and spiritual warfare that Christians can partake in. Because it's so countercultural. It's so different. It's different to have a rested soul. It's unusual. People will take note of, of, of it. And we live in a world where there are stress-filled jobs and activities. I was doing some research and, um, around this whole idea of rest and, and different jobs. and what is the mo- you know, I googled the most stressful job. Uh, and and, and like everybody thinks they're busy, and, the, and they are. And stress is relative. You, we can be in a dangerous place when we look at somebody else's life and go, well, you think your life's tough. You should look at my life. I mean, that.
busy, and, the, and they are, and stress is relative. You, we can be in a dangerous place when we look at somebody else's life and go, well, you think your life's tough. You should look at my life. I mean, that, that, it doesn't matter. We, we, we shouldn't be judging in that way because what is stressful for one person is very different for another. So you might have had the most stressful job and dealt with it really well. Praise God. Nothing to do with you. That's grace. Wonderful. And you might have a, quote, unstressful job. And even by definition, that makes no sense at all because it's got nothing to do with the activity. It's the what's going on. So what's going on inside? But I did, what's the most stressful job? Interestingly, a job that is hiking in stress and depression and suicide right now is the whole world of being a veterinarian because of student debt, but also people's high value on pets. It's like, uh, it's really, really stressful for a vet because it's, you know, you're dealing with some people, the most precious thing in their world and uh, really, really stressful. Suicide in North America is the highest it's ever been since World War II. In youth and young adults, it is uh, it's three times higher than it was in the 1950s. Suicide rate for college students and, and university students is, is epidemic. It, it's, it's dreadful because there's this constant push to be better. It turns out that I, I found out that pastoring is lethal. <laughs> It really is. You look at some of the research around pastoring, um, it's a very short shelf life, incredibly short. The average North American pastor with a master, so that, that would be me, enters and leaves ministry within two years. 90% of pastors do not retire as pastors. They get out. It's done. You flip that statistic around, only 10% make it through to retirement. The average time that a youth pastor spends in one job is eight months. Um, I don't know if you've read about the suicides and the depression, and, and it's just hiking up. I mean, you're talking about pastors of, of quote, un, uh, mega churches, uh, thousands and thousands of people, the pastor's dream. Every pastor loves a big church. Congregants like smaller churches. Pastors like big churches. Um, and this is kind of the, one of the side benefits, I guess, of COVID is suddenly we're all like this. <laughs> we're all mega church pastors. It's great. Um, but one particular pastor recently, just beautiful family, young family, mega church, a writer, uh, committed suicide in his own church in view of his family who were playing outside. And, he, and, and so why do I talk about these tragedy after tragedy within pastoring and, and divorces and family issues and moral failings and, and addiction? Because the reason I can talk this way is because I'm, I'm, in, I'm in this. I can feel what it feels like. And there are so many jobs like this. The caring professions, the emergency services especially, are extremely high in the, in the drive and the hard work and the depression and the suicide. Do they have that inner rest? Do they have that? Now, and, I, and, I, and I know there is, there is mental illness that is, can be chemical and everything else. I'm not grouping it all together. But in terms of a stress-filled life, that is our culture. That is our culture. And we have to ask ourselves, why is it that we're feeling that we have to constantly keep up? Social media drives this now. You go on social media. It's a constant reminder of how you're not good enough. There's always somebody better at something than you, better looking, more driven, 
more money, more successful, been to more places, experienced more stuff, whatever it might be. Social media drives discontent. Life, culture, the West drives discontent. There's this need to constantly be go, go, go. Thomas Aquinas was asked the question, and he's a, a kind of an ancient uh, theologian, I guess, and, and thinker. What would it take to satisfy a human? His answer, everything. Everything. The only way that humans, humanity, is satisfied is by experiencing everything and then more of it. More money, more experiences, more food, more, you know, just more, more, more. We, we are never satisfied. And, and that sounds like a negative thing, and it can be. I've used this quote before, how much money is enough money? For John D. Rockefeller, the answer was, quote, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. So why is it that we drive ourselves to such a point of stress and busyness? Why do we drive ourselves to the point sometimes of depression and suicide? Why do we do that? Why do I, as a pastor, five, six years ago, got to the point where I burnt out? And if you'd asked me 10 years ago about mental health or depression or anxiety or burnout, I would have laughed and thought mentally, you know what, seriously, you just need to sort yourself out and get better and work harder. You know, it's, it's all, you know, sort, just had very, very little empathy and sympathy. And then the Lord had a plan and allowed me in his grace to... To get to the place where I, I, I fatigued my adrenal gland, and the result of it was I took, I guess, probably about eight months off work. And uh, with everything else attached, the anxiety attached to it, and, 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 it, and it just, that's why from the inside of a stressful job, I can relate to what it feels like to be constantly driven to something better. Because here's the thing with pastoring and with the emergency services and caring professions and many other professions. There's always somebody else to help. There's always somebody else who needs to hear about Jesus. There's always somebody else to pastor. There's always somebody else who needs something. And so the job is never finished, ever, until Jesus comes back. And there were some days I used to pray, please, you know, can this be the day? And your job might be the same. There's always something else to do and you feel the drive without ever feeling the satisfaction. So why, why is it that just a little bit more is only going to be the best thing. Well, infinity is our default setting. What do I mean by that? You are amazing. Not in a Western kind of bull you up, rah-rah kind of you can do anything kind of way, but you are wired in such a way where infinity is is the only thing that will actually satisfy you. The Bible would talk about it in terms of Imago Dei, that you've been created in the image of the infinite God. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11, I quote it often because as a preacher, I don't have to spend too long trying to convince you that there is something more than this because Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that you have an eternity in your hearts, that you are incredible because you're infinite. And what we do is we sell ourselves short. And some of you need to hear this because this is so important. That we've lowered our satisfaction level to the next possession or the next position or the next person or the next relationship. If I can just get that, 
then I will feel satisfied. If I can just get that next iPhone, I will feel satisfied. If I can just get that job or that geographical place, or if I can live in the back of a van and experience van life, if I can just do this, if I can get there, if I could earn that, if I can just get this amount, if I could just go, then I will feel satisfied. And what you're doing is you are selling yourself short because you are infinitely magnificent and incredible as determined by a God who loves you and has made you that way. Don't sell yourself short. And as disciples, I started off by saying how we can become disciples of Jesus. Please understand, every one of us is a disciple of someone or something. Even if you don't believe in Jesus this morning, if you're not convinced about Christianity, please be assured you are a disciple to something or someone. You have identified a rabbi or a good life or a perfect ideal, and you are following that, following somebody, following a certain method in order to achieve something that you see will bring you satisfaction. So you can't disconnect yourself. Everybody worships something. Everybody has a religion. Everybody is an apprentice or a disciple to someone or something. As a Christian, I would say that because you are infinite, you will live forever. Not in this physical body, but you will live forever. And you have been wired in such a way that you will never be satisfied with anything you can touch or feel or experience on this planet outside of Jesus himself. Which is why Jesus says, come to me, yoke yourself to me, and you will experience soul rest and your burden will be light. Does that mean that he expects us not to do any work? Far from it. Work hard. Work hard. Add value to this society. We've been told to do that. You know, we're not meant to shuffle around in our PJs every day. Some days that's okay, but not every day. We're meant to fall into bed at night tired because we have worked hard contributing to this planet and to your family or whatever it might look like. That's the way God created it to be. It's the example he set But please understand, you will never be satisfied. You will never be at rest until you find rest in him, the infinite one. You see, because we've been wired for the infinite, the only thing that will actually satisfy a human is infinite itself, Jesus Christ. So when Jesus says in Matthew about finding soul rest, there's a really good um, translation, not translation, paraphrase from the message, Eugene Peterson. He puts it in a really beautiful way. Same passage that we read right at the beginning. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So here's what you need to understand in your pursuit of satisfaction. The very first step is understanding that you are a disciple of something. You are worshiping something. You are looking to something to bring you satisfaction. The next question is, is it worthy of you? Is it worthy of you? Not you as just, but what is inside of you, being placed inside of you? Is it worthy of you? Is it going to truly satisfy you? Is that person going to bring you everything that you ever need or want? The love, the joy, the peace, the patience, all those things that you are wired to seek, really going to be found 
in that? Or is there a better way? Because Jesus says in the scripture, come to me. Come to me. And then in elsewhere in the New Testament, you'll see that when we come to Jesus, when we see that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and we look at his teaching, we recognize that we've tried to be our own kings and queens of our lives, thinking that we can do it. And we lay that before him, recognizing that all our efforts come to nothing. That we're actually, as the New Testament calls it, we're sinners, willfully sinning against an almighty God who loves us. And we come to God And we come to Jesus and we recognize that he died on a cross. And he took all your sin and all your shame and it died with him for those who believe in him. And then he takes all his life and all his right standing with God and places it on your life. And you become a new creation. That the infinity, the eternity is activated inside of your spirit, your new spirit. And it's a positional thing, this rest. Hebrews talks about it. The writer of Hebrews says that you can be at rest. To actually go, my soul, it is well. It is well. That regardless of what's happening in your life circumstantially or, or to you or around you, that your soul can feel at rest. It's a position of rest. Do you have that? That when you go into work, that people can see that there's something about you and you inside that is at rest. Or are you driven like everyone else? Desperately trying to find satisfaction in places that are going to be empty. Are you at rest? Because it's a position. And then we need to do what Jesus said. And again, this is just a paraphrase, but I kind of like it. Think of it like a, a sermon around Matthew 29, not an actual translation, but, but so Eugene Peterson says, walk with me and work with me. Come, Jesus is saying, come, come, come walk, and that's New Testament language, come walk with me, come follow me, and make a habit of rest. The, the idea of rest is really interesting in the Old Testament. And if you go back into Genesis and the ancient, um, the ancient literature of, of Genesis and the creation story, you have God creating the universe, and for those of you who are scientists, I'd love to get into the whole science and faith thing, and spoken about that a lot. But God, on the seventh day, did something quite impressive. After, after spending so, uh, the period of time creating, he looks at everything he's created, and he said, it's good, it's good, and then he sits back and he goes, that is very good. And he does something really fascinating. I'm going to jump into this a little bit more next week. There's, a, there's a, a significance in, some Bible scholars would say great significance around the power of first mention in the Bible. The first time that God makes something holy is in Genesis. And he doesn't make anything holy Nothing he created, nothing he did. So those of you, you know, might be listening online, like to give a tree a good hug because you see, you know, pantheism that there's, God didn't make trees or creation holy. What the first thing is that he made holy was time. He made a day holy. Sabbath. Where the word from, uh, we get that from the word Shabbat, which literally means rest, to stop, to cease. To sit back and go, this is good. It's to celebrate. And he made time holy. 
Not a place, not a thing. See, as humans, we make places and things holy. Go into a temple or a cathedral. God made time a cathedral. Come and enter rest. You want to spend time with God. You want to enter into the presence of God. You want to feel God. All you need to do is set aside time. Time is holy. Isn't that amazing? So beautiful. We make places holy. God makes moments holy. And on his seventh day, it's like he just put a divine enough. This is good. I'm pleased with this. And as Christians, we should be able to have a divine enough on our life. That we're so trustworthy in God and his sovereign will and his power that we recognize that we're not important enough to keep everything together. But he is that we can sit back from our life and we can take rest, not relaxation. We'll get into this more next week, but rest, that your soul is at rest and your life is at rest. What does that look like? That you can actually put time aside and be at rest and enjoy the infinite because you are infinite alongside him. It's so beautiful. A good way of describing this uh, starts with these fellas. This is, uh, this is my house and... Uh, I really want to say that's a really beautiful thing, and it is. But I have a love-hate relationship with these. Um, he was literally, that is, he's, I mean, I'm as close as it looks like I am. This isn't telescopic lens. This is, and there was four or five of these. I think there was five. I don't think I'm exaggerating. Like five pointers on this area in front of our house the other day, chewing acorns. Now, you'll look at that and go, and if you're in Britain, like my good friends Chris and Emma and Armstrong are watching from Britain right now, you'll look at that and go, ooh. I look at that and go, I look at that and go, dead trees. That's what I look at. When I see that, I see that. That's the back of my garden. We've got like lawn and then a patio area where the kids play basketball. And then they eat these trees. And if you live in Kettle Valley like I do, this is just like a, the curse of Kettle Valley, these deer. And nobody's doing it. I could have a little rant and I'm not. But you can see that it's kind of bubbling under the surface. I'm not, I'm not at rest with this. So we looked at this for a few years and decided, okay, well, what we'll do, we'll fight back. We're going to fight back nature. And we used our tool Bamboo. That's what we decided, because bamboo is one of those universal, well-known weapons against deer. Not even slightly. They just saw that and went, challenge accepted. And we put bamboo all around our yard and just felt like, you know, it, it was awful. And so we had to do something about this. So we decided we'd rip it all out. And, uh, and if you look back at this one, for those of you, there's like a nine-foot gap between this and this. And we thought, right, We'll do something about it. And so I was very, we, we took a couple of weekends and we built a nice fence. Yes. By the way, I should say, just out of interest, for those of you who live in Kettle Valley, um, I've, I've caught two deer using a fence like this. I'm not exaggerating. I can show you the photos later. They jump over it and they get their legs trapped in the slats. It doesn't end well for them. Shame that. Okay. Um, but you... <laughs> You, no, this is very good for deer, and I've noticed, by the way, love, that some, they've already jumped over it. It's unbelievable, because this is almost six foot high. It's amazing. Yeah. But anyway, we did this, and we did a nice parking pad and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Why am I showing you that? Because after, what's this got to do with Sabbath? Let me explain. After we built it, 
And it was a family affair. It was good. We took a couple of weekends. I loved it. I loved swinging a hammer and building construction. It was great. Once it's done, every time I look at that fence now, Shabbat comes upon me. That's good. I like my fence. There's this sense of pride and godly pride. Is that possible? Jameson, you can tell me later if that's possible. Like this sense of, so it's like you can, you finish a job and you can sit back and you can enjoy it. That's Shabbat. You can finish a paper at university and you know you've done a really good job. You sit back and you go, oh, that's Shabbat. You look at your kids where you have, you've, you've worked hard at doing a great job of bringing them up and maybe they go astray, but you can still sit back and go, Shabbat. You can celebrate, you can take rest, you can take enjoyment in a job well done. That's what God did on the seventh day. And then he gave us a command and he said, now you go and do the same. And it's the one command we ignore. Well, that was for the ancient Jews or that's for the legalistic ones that, you know, and if like I was chatting with my mum and dad, if you know, I think about Sabbath, I think about when I was a kid and we were in a, mum and dad was saved into a very kind of strict church and Sabbath Sundays, you do nothing fun. You sit there and you think about not doing fun things for a whole day. You don't go out, you don't go to the shops, you don't, you don't see your friends, you don't watch, you definitely don't watch TV, you don't, you know, all this, it was like, and I just go, oh, Sabbath, rubbish. And as I'm looking at this, God is saying, look, Sabbath is a position, have Sabbath rest in your life, but it's also an activity, and I'm going to teach on this next week. How do we, in modern Kelowna, in 2020, actually have a Sabbath that brings life and energy where we can sit back and we can celebrate and it energizes our life. How do we do that? Because the reality is, if God needs to rest, so do we. As an aside, does it say that he started to work again? I mean, it doesn't say it, so I'm kind of, this is, I'm filling in the gaps a little bit. But I wonder, it's certainly in line with the mega themes theologically through the scriptures, that God is still at rest. And he's working from a position of rest. Do we do that? Are we running around trying to find satisfaction out of places that actually bring stress and drive into our lives? But God says, have Sabbath rest. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to finish in just a second. I'm launching into next week's message now. This is a very practical message because I want you to enjoy rest, Shabbat. I want you to enjoy the energy and the beauty and the renewal that living from a position of rest brings you. And we're going to look into it in in some depth next week and very practically, what does a Sabbath look like? And if you're going, oh, I don't need to listen to that, I've proved my point. You need to listen to this message next week. I've read some beautiful books we've been working on, ironically, working on Sabbath (laughs) for the last few months and I tell you that it's just made such a difference to us as a family. I mean, it's not anything like we're not shuffling around all day, kind of gloomy. It's a day that I look forward to. How do we get to that place? But until we get there, I just want to challenge you a little bit. What does your rest look like? Do you have a day off where you're running around doing all the activities you don't have time to do in the rest of the week? Or do you rest? Do you take time? Do you take time to reflect and spend time with the Lord and it just invigorates your soul and your spirit? Do you do that? 
Because by the end of next week, I want to show you how powerful that really is. But this week, I just want to ask you a question. Now, this came from... Oh, I've left a picture of my fence up for way too long. I should have been on there. Oh, well, you're welcome. Um, this, this little uh, uh, illustration comes from Tim Keller and, and uh, apparently from a, a class that he taught in Bible school because um, it was recognized that pastors are never taught on life balance very well, on how to, do, how to avoid burnout and everything else. So it comes from one of his, but these are my kind of graphics. So imagine your life is like this. On one end, like this is a battery, on one end you've got burnout. On the other end, you've got life to the full, soul rest, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, everything that Jesus promised is that end. This end is burnout. Even the words are bleak, aren't they? There's nothing peaceful about those two words. So this is your life. Where are you in this scale? Do you feel like you're down here? Do you feel like you're over here? Whereabouts? That's just a question for you to ask before the Lord. And this was the suggestion. That most people, and I should I say that back, a lot of people wait until here before they actually take rest. I just got to get to that holiday. I just like, I'm going to push hard, I'm going to push hard, and it push hard, push hard, push hard until you are, you're made to take rest. Psalm 23, we make, he, he will make you lie down by, still, uh, by green pastures. Do you wait until you're almost at burnout before you actually take rest? What does that look like for you? What's your weekly rhythm like? What's your daily rhythm like? Do you take rest, real rest, not running around shopping rest, sit in reflecting quietness rest? That's what you were made to be. Is that you? And then when you do take rest, you actually only get this far and you never experience life to the full before you bounce back down here again. And so you miss out on that section of the life. And you fill it in with other things, maybe self-medication, overuse of social media, wasting time, screens, whatever it might be. You're trying desperately to, to get that peace and joy from somewhere, but you always fail. You just end up back down here again. You see, Jesus promises this, life to the full. And the only way we get there is actually by coming alongside him and spending time with him and enjoying the cathedral of time. And I want to encourage you this week to put some time aside. Because here's the reality. If you only ever live here, oh, it's an irritable place to be. It's a frustrating place to be. It's a very difficult place to be, to be patient and loving and kind that you react and flare up. You can't deal with drama well. You're just gone. If that is where you are, I want to suggest to you that we need to, before the Lord, move you along the scale somehow. And how do you do that? You need spiritual rest. You need to learn how to renew through rest, not just relax. So this week, here's your homework. In preparation for next week's message, I just want you to do some really simple things, and I haven't got it on the, on, the, on, the, on the screen. So very, very simple. First of all, I want you to break routine. 
Identify what your routine is and break it. Jesus broke his routine all the time. He would withdraw and go off into the wilderness. He'd get into a boat and get away from the crowds. He would sit by a well. He would break his routine in order just to be quiet and have silence and solitude. He was constantly, you look through the New Testament, constant times when he was getting away from the crowds and then the crowd would find him. I have this beautiful image of Jesus literally playing hide and seek with the crowd sometimes. And yet he was so loving and kind that when they found him, he would minister. But he used to withdraw. Break your routine. Your weekly routine. Your daily routine. Maybe you need to get up earlier. Maybe you need to stop earlier. Break your routine and spend some time with Jesus. Actually, spend time with him. Open your Bible. Get your journal. Reflect. Think. Am I... Spending good quality time. Am I entering this cathedral of time on a regular basis to enjoy his presence? Am I getting rest? Or am I pushing rest off to a time at some point in the future when my kids have grown up or I can get on holiday? Switch off for an evening. So let's maybe not start with 24 hours Sabbath, but start with a few hours. Say, right, 6 o'clock tonight as a family, we're switching all our devices off. And we're only going to do things that bring joy and rest and worship into our lives. doesn't mean you have to start singing choral Latin tunes together as a family or anything. But something that you just enjoy doing, that makes you laugh, that renews your spirit and your soul. Maybe it's doing a board game. Maybe it's watching something fun on TV. Not The Walking Dead or anything. Nothing that's going to kind of bring darkness into you. But something that makes you as a family come together and enjoy one another and enjoy God. Do it one night this week. You'd be actually surprised when you start identifying whether you do that, how little families do that. They're so filled with activity. When was the last time you actually entered the cathedral of time together as a family and just enjoyed one another and the God who gave you one another to each other? So take a night. Sleep in. (laughs) Amen. I mean, I'm not going to put any limit to that. Just have a sleep in this week. Whatever that looks like. Take a nap. I love naps. Naps are godly. I'm going to show you next week. There is a biblical foundation for having naps. Jesus napped. I can nap. It's called a schlaf in the Hebrew. It's like saying it. It's great. I'm off for a schlaf. Silence, solitude, schlaf. It's a good thing. Shabbat, silence, solitude, schlaf. Take a nap. Catch up with a friend. Or don't. Sometimes friends are hard work. That's all right. Say, I need some time. Maybe somebody that, as I say, you feel like you can just be yourself with. Go for a walk. Read a book. Get creative. Do something that is outside of your normal routine and enjoy the presence of God in it. Even saying it makes me want to do it. And as a family, we've been trying to make these Sabbaths part of our weekly routine. And I'm at the point now where I, Like we do ours because I'm a pastor. This is a work day for me. So Sundays are not Sabbath for us at all. Saturdays though. So I go from Friday night to Saturday night. And then I look at my sermon on a Saturday night. So usually from like 6 o'clock to 6 o'clock. There's nothing spiritual about that. It just works. It's our Sabbath. And I want to share next week as to how you can build a Sabbath into your life. And see renewal and rest. But this week. Thus saith the Lord. Rest. There's no drive. You have an audience of one. He is in control. He is sovereign. You can switch off. He's got it. As I say to myself often, Glenn, you're not that important. And my wife would say amen to that. 
but you can switch off. It's okay. Jesus has got it. Jesus loves you. You are far more infinite than you realize. So in summary, that we're a disciple to something. What are you following after? You're an apprentice to something or someone. That we're looking for satisfaction somewhere. Where are you looking for for that satisfaction? Because if you're infinite, you're only going to find it in the infinite. And Jesus said, find it in me. Jesus Christ. And in finding in it, it puts you in a position of rest, that you are capable of infinite divine rest. You've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. That is a gift to you as a Christian. Do you have that? And if you do have it, are you practicing that rest on a daily and weekly basis? Because that is a gift that God has given to you. He made it holy and he blessed it. And then he said, go do the same. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. And, uh, and then I will I'll just release you to go and enjoy Thanksgiving, eat way too much. There's always Tuesday. You can recover on Tuesday. Just eat and enjoy over the next couple of days. But let me pray a blessing upon you for this week. Dear Lord, we are so grateful that you give us this gift of rest, that our souls can get rest in you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the sacrifice on the cross. You say, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. So Lord, I pray that that is a gift that everybody in my hearing will, will enjoy and receive. And Lord, for my Christian friends and family, for our church family, Lord, I pray that this week that we will find time to rest in you just to enjoy you, to say no to some things, to say yes to you. That, Lord, we would break our routine. And that, Lord, you would speak to us and show us how we can enjoy and, and have a habit of rest in our lives more fully. And, Lord, I pray that as we go into this weekend of Thanksgiving and, and that, Lord, that we just enjoy our friends and our family, that, God, there would just be a wonderful sense of Shabbat are divine enough on our life. And we ask all these things, Lord Jesus, knowing that you hear us, this is your will, and that, Lord, I pray in the, all these things in your name. We love you. Amen. Amen.